Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Be a leader in loss prevention by implementing integrated solutions that enhance safety, reduce shrink, and help to improve merchandising, operations, and customer service. Bosch Integrated Security and Communication Solutions span Zones 1 through 4 in the LPRC's Zones of Influence, while enriching the customer experience and delivering valuable data to help increase retail profitability. Learn more by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is our latest uh, episode in the weekly series update. I'm joined by colleagues, uh, Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan, and of course, our producer, Kevin Tran. Um, we'll start off as we have during this 2020 pandemic uh, era, uh, talking just briefly about COVID-19 and the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes the COVID disease, uh, talking a little bit, uh, continuous research flowing out on preventive measures, masks still uh, continue to get more and more evidentiary support. Um, you know, there's a lot around protecting others, um, which is the main benefit because it reduces the viral load uh, that we might expel in our breath, our speech, uh, sneezing or coughing, um, but also um, now mounting evidence on the protective benefits that masking provides to the wearer, to those of us that are wearing them. Um, because again, it further reduces the onboarding or the viral load that we might onboard. Um, and we've talked about it's three to 600 um, COVID particles tend to be the infectious dose is the hypothesis here supported by increasing evidence. Um, comparative again to 13 to 1900 particles uh, for most influenzas or seasonal flus. Um, so it's a little more, if not a lot more infectious as we can see. And so the masking and the distancing um, and particularly masking on both ends um, can reduce the viral load because fewer particles go through. And again, the mask is not designed to and cannot block viral particles. They're too small, but can block uh, the droplets that are required to carry the viral particles. So um, uh, also there's new evidence coming out of Spain and others through some pretty rigorous research. It looks like that as one would expect that um, the masking is reducing the infection and disease rate for other res- respiratory diseases like RSV, other seasonal influenzas. The concerns that they do have um, and you know, we've got to appreciate the balanced approach and the objective approach of the scientists is that uh, what doesn't happen now is more likely to happen later. So as we uh, are reducing um, the infection rates uh, from RSV and uh, influenza and viruses and and other respiratory diseases um, because of masking, um, some of the concerns are out there by a lot of scientists, physicians that, well, uh, that means that uh, many or most of us in the population might be more vi- um, susceptible to those at other times. So we might start seeing peaks and so on. And the same concern with COVID that you're, we're really putting it off. But the, again, the main uh, intent here is to protect the most vulnerable uh, and at the same time uh, try and reduce the load on uh, those that get serious disease from, from uh, SARS-CoV-2, serious COVID, <clears throat> and overwhelm the healthcare systems 
Um, and so that's the main concern here. So it's always a balance, but the way to try and get through this, it clearly looks like uh, masking up because of the reduction, uh, the probability that we'll infect someone or be infected ourselves. And again, with uh, very low to no symptomatic um, COVID uh, infections that are out there, but yet they're still infectious to others, that's where the big concern comes in and why this, uh, and by and large, became a global pandemic in addition to everybody able to fly around um, and, again, being asymptomatic to transmit the disease to uh, the people that they're exposed, they, they expose themselves to. Um, moving on to the vaccine front, um, continue more and more pour in, 38 in phase one trials, different separate vaccines with all different approaches. Uh, 17 in uh, phase two trials, 12 now. We're up to 12 uh, vaccine candidates in phase three, large scale, 20 to 60 plus thousand participants um, divided primarily double blind studies where neither the, the study participant or subject nor the administrator of the actual uh, injection uh, in this case, knows whether it's saline solution or other um, placebo or if it's the actual vaccine. Um, and they're randomly assigned people to receive one or the other um, that they are now in phase three trials um, that are designed to get a, uh, an estimate of, uh, again, the safety profile, build that, continually build that, that profile out. Uh, what are the side effects, particularly side effects that occur again we've talked about before because uh, our body's immune system is activated and so we're going to have um, some of the symptoms of having a virus because that's the symptoms of our body reacting to the virus in this case a vaccine um, but in doing so it's trying to build uh, antibody immunity as well as the memory uh, immunity uh, through the t-cells and other mechanisms so that's what's going on there uh, 12 in those phase three trials Six vaccines now have limited approval. None have full approval yet. Um, the uh, other exciting news uh, on the vaccine front, we heard last week um, that the Pfizer um, uh, messenger RNA vaccine uh, appeared to have uh, 90 plus, over 95% uh, efficacy with a, a good robust safety profile, even though they're going to want another one to three months more following all the participants, the trial participants, to further look at, again, efficacy, but also on, on uh, side effects. Um, but now it's joined by, this week, the release of the Moderna. Um, similar type of um, science or mechanism of action, uh, or actually the, uh, the, the engineering that went into the vaccine and how, how it's built, um, the Moderna, also showing uh, close to 94, 95% efficacy so far. In other words, of uh, 90 plus uh, people uh, came down with COVID-19 disease uh, in the trial of, you know, in this case, these are 30 to 60,000 participants. Um, so we're looking at anywhere from, you know, 15 to 30,000 people that got the injection. Um, almost none of those that received the actual vaccine got the infection. Um, uh, almost only those that got the infection or mostly those, in other words, 90 plus percent, uh, were the ones that did not receive the uh, vaccination, but rather placebo. So they both look at this point in time to be highly efficacious. Um, they're looking again at the, did they become infected or not, which would be one endpoint. Um, did the person become infected? The second one, of course, is if they got the disease, 
that it reduced the seriousness of the disease. And, and at least one, it looks like the Moderna trial, for instance, and it may be the same in the Pfizer, um, that it does seem to reduce serious disease. And we know um, that the research shows through the years that the same thing with influenza, the, the flu vaccines, they may be 40 to 60% efficacious, uh, much less effective than what's looking like is starting to happen with the, the COVID vaccines, um, but that they reduce serious disease um, as well. And so when we're looking at 40 to 60, that's uh, do you get infected or not? So good, exciting news, incredibly rapid um, response. And some of the, the science behind the Pfizer coming out of this couple, it's really uh, a good, good information, good reading to understand, you know, this couple uh, that were from Turkey originally and uh, working together there and then later and most recently, of course, in Germany, um, and what all, how they've adopted uh, the mechanisms, the, the type of uh, uh, technology that they use to reduce cancer risk or affect cancer through vaccination, um, that's the same technology that they rapidly adopted uh, for COVID-19. And the, and the couple take turns that they, so that one of them is working uh, at all times, 24 hours a day and have for months now, they and their teams. So one is always on duty and the other not um, to make sure that the science is done right um, and that uh, they are communicating with other scientists around the world 24-7. So it, it's really uh, interesting and heartwarming to see what's going on with the scientist community out there um, and affecting this and all the lessons learned from fighting COVID-19 that'll accrue to the benefit of all of us for uh, an array of other viruses and other infections and cancer and, and, so, and so forth. So therapies, uh, now over 200, 213 antivirals and various uh, preclinical and clinical testing, uh, 366 other treatments in the same state. Um, so there is a lot of science going on around COVID-19, and it's starting now to take effect. Um, at the same time, infection rates are going up as people are moving more and more about. Um, we are just talking about before recording what each of us might be doing during Thanksgiving, and it's such a, it's such a tough thing. It's, you know, we know that uh, humans, we uh, like to get together. We're obviously very communal, um, and it's very difficult not to do that. So um, everybody be safe, take care out there. On the LPRC front, um, what's going on with research and development con uh, continues on all fronts. We, we've seen a, a, a pretty significant uptick in retailers or um, security or AP technology companies coming to us now with new ideas, new repurposing of current technology ideas that they would like to test uh, with LPRC. So um, uh, my team uh, is extremely busy right now um, working away. Uh, to try and accommodate all that. A lot of product protection, but also, of course, um, infection protection, uh, but convenience and security in the parking lots. Um, and as we know, all these high-risk transactions that come from Bopus and Boris, you know, buy online, return in store, buy online, pick up in store, buy online and delivery and so forth, all the different types as well as curbside uh, and all the mobile checkout options. So a lot going on in that area. Um, while there seems to mercifully be a lull right now in, in uh, organized looting, um, retailers continue to prepare, um, upgrade, and our team to support them on R&D, on um, different tactics um, to, to coordinate with each other, with law enforcement, with the community, 
um, at large individuals in the community, and then of course using uh, bar barriers and technologies. So a lot happening there. Um, we had again uh, a great session with the International Organization of Black Security Executives. Um, that that organization is uh, putting out some of the materials that we uh, use for that uh, 90 minute hour and a half conference that we did with them. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, please look up IOBSE online uh, or on Twitter or Facebook um, and reach out to that stellar group. Um, we, we really enjoyed working with them. Um, we're putting more things into our lab. Uh, we're working now actually uh, this week, tomorrow to be exact, on Wednesday, uh, we'll be installing a couple of uh, really cutting edge robotic solutions. Uh, we've already talked a lot about some of the other artificial intelligence, uh, particularly computer vision we've been working on, but as, as we're now gearing up in, in some deep planning on NLP or natural language processing um, to, to work with that. Uh, we're having bi-weekly calls just initiating. In fact, today is the next one with uh, a team from NVIDIA uh, that are absolute experts in, uh, in data set collection, annotating data sets, um, as well as then training uh, models and uh, then using those to inference and retrain and improve models. Um, so they're providing a wealth of expertise, experience and information to myself and the team. Uh, none of us being, of course, computer scientists or engineers. Uh, and so that augments the great information we're getting from my colleagues at the University of Florida that are engineers and computer scientists. Um, and it was official last Friday, I was moved over into the College of Engineering, the uh, Herbert Wertheim College of Engineering at the University of Florida into what's called Flex, Flex Station um, in, uh, Innovation Institute. Um, and so uh, did some detailed planning yesterday, as a matter of fact, with that team virtually. Um, so more to come, but very excited on the opportunities that that's going to provide uh, to our team and, and to uh, the LPRC members and industry at large. Um, as we all work together to safeguard vulnerable people and, and places. So with no further ado, I'm going to go over to uh, Tony D'Onofrio and learn about what is going on in retail and elsewhere in the world. Thank you very much, uh, Reed, and great update on both uh, the COVID activity and also the, what's happening at LPRC. Let me start with a couple of interesting pieces of retail news that I, that I found that came to light this week. First of all, Walmart, really how they're revolving from their previous plan of being a global retailer, they actually have been retrenching from a lot of multiple international countries. So two years ago, they divested the majority operations in Brazil. This year, they sold the majority stakes in the UK, Argentina. And this week, they actually divested the majority stakes in Japan. They're only making one big global bet, and that's in India, where they invested $16 billion in Flipkart and online business, which is a good bet because India really has a lot of upside with 1.3 billion people. But the reason they're doing all that, they believe those international markets are slow growth and they wanna make bigger bets in the US, in North America, in Mexico, in Canada, in terms of online and the whole digital or physical link, that's where they're making the bets. And so they're exiting the international markets, which I found interesting because in the past it was all about being global now it's about being focused and leveraging technology to optimize your business model so that was one the other one uh, that what i found interesting this week cvs has started the rollout of their 
touch-free mobile pay solution from PayPal and Vemco in all stores. Um, I found that interesting because uh, really mo mobile pay and touch-free is so behind the rest of the world. So one of the examples that I've used in many of my presentations in March alone, 800 million people in China use mobile pay touch-free as part of a normal day-to-day -day activity of doing business. So the U.S. and that part of the, uh, the part of technology has a lot of work to do. So CVS getting started is actually being behind. Speaking to China, last week I spoke to a preview of what happened to single day. Well, the results are in. Uh, they happened right after we recorded our podcast the next day. So China Singles Day was extremely successful. They rebranded it this year as Double Eleven, so Eleven Eleven. Uh, it actually was an 11-day shopping festival this year, not just a one-day event. In those 11 days, they generated $74.1 billion just for Alibaba, and that's nearly $7 billion a day. It is a global event. There were ne nearly 32,000 international brands from 84 countries that participated. Uh, uh, Alibaba also did a heavy outreach to small businesses. So 2.1 million small businesses onboarded and participated and big brands did uh, really crazy things. So for example, Cartier did a major live stream with about 800,000 people. And they even tried to sell a necklace that was valued at $28 million via live stream. US brands had about $6 billion in revenue in the double 11 or singles day and they are the largest country contributing outside of China in terms of total revenue. 90% of all the brands participated exceeded their sales from the previous year. 28 live streaming channels each surpassed $15 million. And even Magic Johnson this year from the US joined in a, in a live stream selling one of his products. One of the big things about Double Eleven or Singles Day, it's a big party. So this year they couldn't do it live. So they had a concert from Kate Perry being virtually broadcast to all the attendees. Uh, and they had all kinds of technology supporting it. So they had autonomous delivery robots, 30,000 packages were delivered to autonomous delivery robots. At its peak, 583,000 orders per second were being processed. And the logistics uh, process had to process 2.3 2 billion packages for shipping, which is up from 1.88 billion the previous year. Nike is one of the more active brands in the single day, a double 11. So for example, Nike sale, sold $15 million worth of goods in one minute. So it gives you an idea how active and how entertaining this process is. So Alibaba's uh, singles day, double 11, was 16 times as many sales as Amazon's Prime Day that we talked about in a previous podcast. And part of it is scale. So 800 plus million consumers joined in the shopping frenzy during those 11 days. So what does it tell us? Retail is back in China, it's, it's strong and really it's a good indicator that retail is a vibrant industry and that it will be back uh, in the rest of the world and the shopping festivals are really an, an area that the rest of the world's got to learn from and grow uh, in terms of these types of activities, in terms of engaging consumers. 
Also this week, some really interesting uh, data in terms of uh, what, what is uh, retail innovation in 2020 and what is here to stay from Euromonitor. Absolute growth of online retailing globally from 2019 to 2024 will be uh, $1.5 trillion. 56% of all global retailers are looking to sell to additional uh, digital channels in 2020. 73% of global retailers believe the shift to online sales will be permanent. Going forward, expect more live streaming, which is a good sign because I, as I just talked about Singles Day, greater focus on reducing delivery costs to robots, curbside pickup, and click and collect options. In terms of store space and design, 50% of global customers feel safer in standalone stores in 2020 compared to just 10% who prefer shopping centers, and 35% now want those grab-and-go contactless experience similar to Amazon Go. So that's a trend that's going to continue to increase. And then 45% uh, of global retailers are looking to add perks to loyalty programs in 2020, so how to engage consumers more. And 53% of global retailers are looking to add more online experiences such as digital events and live streaming. So making shopping more entertaining. So we are headed indeed to a new normal out of all this. And the reason I bring all this stuff up is this is the time to stay engaged with LPRC in terms of how this impacts both the green and the red shopper and becoming, because understanding that and dealing with it is becoming much, much more important uh, going forward. So with that, I'm gonna turn over to Tom. Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Reed. And uh, uh, this week, I uh, just wanted to give a brief update on the Fusion Net. I know that we've been talking about it pretty regularly, and I, I still encourage everybody to get involved in what the Fusion Net is. is it really started out many years ago and evolved into this virtual Special Operations Command Center into what I would say today is really more of a collaboration tool about how information is shared through the members with the law enforcement community. Uh, and it centers around major events uh, throughout the U.S. and globally. Uh, obviously, we talked a lot about the election and civil disturbance, but it's also about weather events and any other type of event that could be disruptive. Uh, Reed had mentioned that uh, luckily, and I, I would say it's great news to see that there hasn't been mass civil disruption that uh, was potentially going to occur after elections. There are certainly still some hotbeds or pockets of activity throughout the U.S., I think they're the, the typical beds of activity where we see protest activity. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, one thing that has come up in the last four to five days is, I don't want to say alarming, I would say interesting, um, videos and posts from very, very small subsetted groups um, with either threats of violence or overturning the government. This is not uncommon um, at all on the internet, but what's interesting is the production value of some of these videos is reminiscent of what Al-Qaeda would do or an anonymous video. Now, we all know today that everybody has a high-definition camera in, uh, in their pocket as well as a video studio in their pocket. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. That production value in 2020 looks very different than it did even three years ago. But these videos talk about overthrowing of the government, um, anti-police activity, uh, and quite honestly, a lot of violence. They don't talk about looting. They don't talk about um, things of that nature, but they really talk about, you know, the, the change in society. 
Um, and a few of the videos, because I've, I've now seen, uh, I think, four from the same group, really segment the, the, the stark differences and similarities to the country in the late, in the 60s, and, you know, where are the, you know, where the movement went wrong, if you will. So stay tuned for more on that. One of the, one of the things that I would say is uh, the LPRC will be monitoring and using the fusion net appropriately. Again, I'm not calling it alarming because these are super small, unvalidated um, type videos, but uh, they're definitely propaganda in some nature. Uh, I, I did was able to tie one to a European group that is actually pretty substantial in Europe, um, but uh, mostly non, uh, non-violent and more of uh, a protest or anti-government type scenario. So uh, that would be interesting to see if that segment comes over to the U.S. It's predominantly found throughout the Netherlands and France. Um, and it, w- it is similar to the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, although it has a little bit difference of a pretense. And there's definitely a tie there. The, the person that did the video is um, a very publicly well-known figure in Europe who happens to actually be a dual citizen. He was uh, in the U.S. for many, many years and actually was active in, uh, in the Los Angeles area and the New York area. Uh, again, not, not a, um, I would say not, you know, looting or disrupt, uh, just disruption, regular civil service, a normal protest and actually very peaceful and very organized, uh, filed for permits and things. So hopefully these videos just turn out to be nothing more than propaganda Switching speeds a little bit to some of the things Tony uh, talked about with, you know, the contractless payment and some of the things that are uh, happening at a more rapid pace. Uh, one, we're, we are behind, and I think Tony noted on that. We're also behind in, in the fraud and risk modeling side of that business. So as we incur these new things, uh, the retailers are taking the brunt of the risk for fraud. Uh, I think uh, one of the most notable things is, and I talked a little bit this uh, a little bit uh, last week uh, on the American Cash Council Society um, uh, show that in the past, a lot of these contactless payment providers needed to influence or incentivize retailers to use their service. And the way they did that heavily was by basically assuming all of the fraud risk and, you know, you use our service and you will not have any fraud. You know, we will, we will run the fruit. Well, that table is starting to turn dramatically, as one could imagine, when retailers need the service, there's less need to incentivize. So uh, it's a bit of a cautionary tale. Anytime we bring any type of new payment segment in, we have to understand what the fraud implications are. I personally think the the PayPal QR code and um, the Venmo and uh, Zello and all of the QR code payment systems uh, appear to be fairly safe and have uh, what I would say is the best uh, demonstrated practices and safety standards, but because they're so new, we don't know how they'll be exploited. And then turning uh, my last kind of topic, which I talked about last week is organized retail crime in 2020. Uh, notice how I didn't say uh, around the election and COVID because I think 2020 is just such an uh, interesting year with so many different things going on. Uh, organized retail crime continues to be a challenge uh, throughout the U.S. Um, there are I think uh, similar pockets of areas around major metropolitan cities that we always see. But as we continue to institute mask wearing, as one would uh, imagine, when you can't make an apprehension, the police are are, are less likely to make an arrest uh, and you have a masked individual. What was already an extremely difficult case becomes even more challenging. Retailers are heavily turning 
to technology and computer vision, to use technologies like LPR for license plate recognition. And also there, well, I would say that um, it is the, it isn't a direct correlation with everything that's going on. Facial recognition continues to be controversial, but the algorithms continue to improve with mask wearing. While it certainly is not a per perfect science, the use of cell phones have really helped dramatically improve algorithms to identify with masks. Obviously, uh, it depends on the type of mask and where you wear the mask on its face, but I've heard from many folks here that are dealing with significant uh, ORC problems that that is one of the things that they're turning to, as well as uh, the GPS options to kind of track the items to uh, a single port of origin and keep running through. So these are all things that we're going to work on here at the LPRC, so uh, stay tuned. Uh, and over to you, Reed. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Tom. It, uh, amazing, interesting, and uh, thanks for sharing uh, some video evidence that you, you're referring to as far as some of the, the fringe elements, what they're posting. Um, and it's somewhat reminiscent of what you see in a way, because only because I'm uh, familiar with the, uh, some of the Al-Qaeda or ISIS type uh, propaganda videos that are sort of narratives with a slow motion uh, activity in the background and um, just kind of an interesting way to communicate um, with people at large. Um, so uh, I'll leave that to others too that are much more expert in um, the dynamics and the context of these postings and other things that are going on. Um, even uh, as you said, how long has this been going on? Is this new or is this uh, something that's been around um, and how significant they might be? So uh, with no further ado, I want to appreciate both of you all, Kevin Tran, for his production and direction. And most of all, to you all, the listener, please, everybody stay safe out there. Um, always operations at lpresearch.org. Please let us know your recommendations, your questions, your comments. Uh, always appreciate it. Um, signing off from Gainesville, Florida. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.